There's no problem too big or small, no issue too hot or cold, and no subject these gentlemen won't talk about. Let's head into the lab to see what they're working to figure out today. Welcome to Figure It Out. This is George Grombach. We've got an awesome show for you coming up. This week, Centauri and I were joined by Curtis Williams, a mixologist and entrepreneur. We had a great conversation that went from the origins of mixology to the rise in popularity and the future of craft cocktails to how people can know if they're getting a great quality drink in a bar or how to mix one at home. You can see Curtis in action at the Gladly in Phoenix or check out his custom ice company, Artisan Ice, at artisanicez.com. If you'd like additional information, click contact us in the notes and we'll get you what you need. Thanks as always for listening. Feel free to give us a share on social media. That's enough about that. Let's go. Well, let's get into it and get down to it. Welcome to Figure It Out. This is George Grombacher. Joining me as always is Centauri Minor. Hello, folks. Helping us move from awareness to action today is Curtis Williams, mixologist at the Gladly and one of the founders of Artisan Ice. Welcome. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Centauri. This should be good. What is a mixologist? Oh, okay. I thought you were going to ask, like, what's my favorite drink? Or um, a mixologist is like a better trained bartender, question mark? Is that solid? Yeah, I mean, it's getting there. Okay. Um, There's a lot of different terms that get thrown around the industry for what we do. Um, Mixologist is one. Bartender. um, Spirit guide. Spirit tour guide. I like that one. mm. It's kind of a good one. Um, (laughs) Really, yeah, it's just kind of to... You know, coach people and kind of help people expand their horizons when it comes to cocktails and alcohol and what is available, what is out there, and things they might not have experienced before, and just try to, you know, open up people's minds into, you know, new ideas and get them to try new things, pretty much. Nice. The definition says it's someone who mixes and invents cocktail drinks. That that could be it. I mean... At, at our place, we do all of our bartenders, including myself, we build our menus um, on our own, just kind of either based on classics or own inspirations or things that speak to our bartenders. They kind of try to put in a glass the way that a chef might put themselves on a plate. We put ourselves in the glass. Wow. That's nice. Really cool. mm-hmm. It also said that all mixologists are bartenders, but not all bartenders are mixologists. That's that's the whole. That sounds accurate. Uh, you could say that. You know, I've I've been in the world for a long time, and I've been a bartender, and now on the mixology side. And there are, there's definitely different skill sets. Not to say that one is better than the other. Um, it's definitely has there is a line and there's a delineation between the two, but um, all serve a purpose. And I think one lends itself to learning the other. You should be well rounded and kind of have both. Wow. aspects under your belt I feel to be a fully rounded um, bartender and just to provide their guests with the best experience possible nice so uh, for those listening at home uh, Curtis has actually made us two drinks uh, so I just want him to tell us what what, what you came up with and the, the history behind it yeah so they asked for a couple cocktails um, and I said right now it's a very popular drink it's coming back um, it was popular back in the day and it's still one of my favorites just a classic old-fashioned um, doesn't have the muddled cherry and the orange. It's just the classic pre-prohibition recipe, which calls for the spirit, which traditionally was rye, um, bitters, which uh, I've used Angostura, simple syrup or gum syrup, which is what I've used um, today, gum syrup, and then water, water being the ice cubes. Wow. Um, so it really is a spirit-forward cocktail. 
lets the spirit shine with a little bit of accents to bring out some other flavors that are inherent in the bourbon that you might not get if you just drank it straight. Wow. So, George, I have a question for you. When was Prohibition era? What Ooh. years? I, it's not fun I ask questions. I do not. Well, it's, it's easy to answer when you don't know the answer, and it's okay saying that you don't know the answer to the question. So, I don't know. Fair enough. I, I, I have no idea. <laughs> I have no idea. I have no idea. <laughs> um, during the 20th century. At some point. In yes. the 20s. Fair enough. Fair enough. <clears throat> During the 20th century. So, um, all right. So, it, so they did not have uh, the fruit in this cocktail during that time because there wasn't. It was a little bit harder to come by, and it just wasn't something that was readily available at every bar. And most places were making just straight spirit-forward cocktails. Um, we didn't, really didn't see the whole mixed cocktail revolution until after Prohibition, which some of it, you know, there's a lot of stories around where – that's where it stemmed from is that people had to put other things in their alcohol to hide that they were actually drinking alcohol oh. during Prohibition. Thus, the mixed cocktail was, you know, that, that's one of the stories. Um, that's the thing about liquor and spirits is there's so many stories out there about so many different things. And, you know, the, there'll be, you'll get bartenders that argue with each other to the death about which story is right and which story is wrong. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's... I've not studied a lot about Prohibition. I think that the majority that I know about it is from watching Boardwalk Empire. So there, there's some truth, but definitely some Hollywood in that. You know, yeah. um, entertaining show for sure. Definitely a lot of history during that time. So. Yeah. Um, why do you think that that the old fashioned has been become so popular, or, or maybe just whiskey? It seems like whiskey is very popular. Mm-hmm. Whiskey is very popular. It's it's there's been a resurgence in it. Um, I think. A, Part of it might be due to some of the shows that are on television, Boardwalk Empire, or there's like other shows on that I've been told I don't watch a lot of TV, honestly, but that where bourbon is always drank. Um, Mad Men obviously was a big mm-hmm. one. Um, he, uh, you know, always drank old fashions on Mad Men, so that might have been another big reason that they came back. Um, another thing is I think people are just starting to really start to appreciate good, high quality, high end spirits again the way that people used to drink high quality wines. Now they're moving into bourbons and spirits um, just because there are some beautiful things out there and there's some people doing some very, very imaginative, cool things and some great flavor profiles to be discovered. So I think people have just now understood that, you know, I can get just as many cool flavors out of a glass of whiskey as I can out of a glass of wine. Mm. It's, it's an interesting thing. Uh, craft beer has been exploding for, I think, probably enjoying exponential year over year growth for it's still exploding right yeah absolutely and that was that was a world that um i never dove too far into i'm familiar with the craft beer world but once again you know just inventive people doing very cool new things um i bring it back to the food you know just think about it as like chefs always doing cool inventive things and i think now the cocktail and the beer world have finally caught up and now they're People are putting their true passion into their craft, and it's showing through their end product. I think that that's a that's an awesome way to look at it is to to look at it um, from the perspective of what chefs have been doing for a really long time, and not thinking about it in terms of beer and and now um, mixology as well. I think that that's really cool. I hadn't thought about that. Um, <clears throat> what do you think? Do you think that? that it's also a rejection of something that people are moving more towards, craft beer, craft cocktails? You know, um, it's, I don't know if it's a true rejection. I think maybe it's just a a graduation or maybe a, an enlightenment. I think it, it comes with maybe a little bit of age. You know, mm. 
we all went to college, I went to college, and it was, you know, vodka sodas, vodka cranberries, gin and tonics, whatever, or whatever flavored vodka was on the back shelf because it was cheap and it was easy and it was accessible. Um, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with those products, but maybe just when people start to develop finer tastes for food or spirits, it just kind of is a natural progression into that. And um, it's just been very timely for me to get into the industry that, you know, people are starting to really appreciate it. And it's widespread. You can find it anywhere you go now. Are you finding that more and more restaurants are uh, really kind of crafting their their menus or crafting their experiences around alcohol, or is it still mostly food-based? I think you'll find food-focused and cocktail-focused, but I think um, to be any high-end restaurant nowadays, if you don't have a cocktail program, I think you're, you know, might not be considered top tier. I think it kind of goes hand-in-hand. If you have good food, you have good cocktails. Mm. At least in the Valley, that's kind of what I've seen. Which really makes sense. Um, okay, fair enough. It's probably... Probably to your point, people's palates maturing a little bit. Right. Um, and 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 the the diner and consumer has become a lot more educated, I think, mm. and they're they're willing to pay a certain premium for a product as long as that product delivers and the service that comes with it is accompanied. Um, you know, it it's one thing to pay fifteen dollars for a drink and it's not quality, but it's another thing to pay fifteen dollars for a drink and it's might be revolutionary to you or something that you've never experienced before and something that now is your favorite drinker that you're passionate about. I think that's where the difference comes in. Are you seeing, and uh, George touched on this a little bit before, are you seeing that it's just um, being whiskey focused or are you seeing more and more people moving into cocktails or spirits in general? Because I've seen a lot of people yeah. being into sipping tequilas or rum. So what is, what's driven that? I think it's, I think it's spirits in general. Um, obviously, being, for, being at the bar that I run, we are whiskey focused, but um, a lot of my comrades and a lot of my you know, friends in the industry either work at a tequila bar or a rum bar or mm. any type of spirit-driven bar. Uh, I think it's a general movement towards high-quality craft spirits. The, not necessarily just whiskey, but whiskey is one of the big ones. But us being in the Southwest, tequila, and now the new thing that's happening is mezcal, which is exploding right now. So spirits like that are, I think, definitely paving the way and kind of going to be the trend. Ooh, <clears throat> I will bite. I don't know what mezcal is. So mezcal, um, some people like to refer to it as tequila's smoky cousin. Mm. So mezcal is going to have that um, most of the time. I'm speaking in general terms here, but for the most part, it's going to have a more smoky flavor. It's still made out of agave um, in a different region of Mexico than tequila comes from. And usually the plants are older than the typical tequila plant, okay? And just because of the old world processes that they used to make um, mezcal, that's what's gonna lend its smoky flavor to the spirit. Wow. wow. I can't imagine mezcal being mad at you if you called it tequila's smoky cousin. That's just, that, that, that's, you know, some people have said it that way and you know, I thought it was a kind of a funny way to explain it to people that that's good. might not be familiar with the spirit as well as I am. So, is, is it more expensive? Uh, most of the time, yes, just because the plants are older, older the process right. is harder, um, and there, you know, there's a supply shortage of it right now because it takes so long to grow the plants. So, Curtis, I got to ask you. Obviously, are very well versed and very experienced and knowledgeable in, the, in this. Did that just come from experience, or is there any formal training to become a mixologist? Like, what does it look like if someone like I, I think this is cool? I think this is a great career path for me. What is that? How does someone get into it? You know, it's funny. People have asked me that, and um, 
comes down to like a passion and a willing to be self-taught because there is mm. there is no technical schooling for this. I mean, you can work behind lots of bars, and I was lucky to, you know, I've been in this industry for over 15 years now, and I've had a lot of great mentors, and I feel like our community, we all just teach each other. I think mm. that's very important to our cocktail community is that we continue to teach and share with each other and just to build a stronger community because nobody can do it on their own and we're stronger together. So it just makes so much sense that we share what we do and we are passionate about what we do and we share with each other and support each other in what we're doing by checking out each other's cocktail programs. And really that's just how my knowledge has like flourished is I've had people that have helped coach me along the way, but I've also you know done a lot of reading and research and trips on my own just because I am passionate about it to further my knowledge. Right. There are classes and things that you can take, but I think there's no substitute for just really being passionate and want to be self-taught and learn more and more you can everything every day about it. I try to teach myself something new every day I come to work. Yeah. And I know that uh, just being around you and some other bartenders, that there are certain competitions that you guys enter. How does that work and what? how did this become a thing where you could compete? The, the competition scene, yeah. So the competition scene is an interesting one. Um, you know, it, it was just a place for us to show off what we've been doing. I think it's the way it started is to be like, you know, look at all this cool inventive stuff that I'm doing in front of all your peers because it's usually everybody, we're all friends at the end of the day, even right. after these competitions, you know, and they are, they're friendly competitions. We all go and try to show off and win the prize. And, but at the end of the day, it's kind of that community and saying, look what we're doing. What are you guys doing? And let's all share and let's get better from, from here on out. Yes. I'm glad to hear that it is a, a, for lack of a better term, a tight-knit, strong community. Um, and one of the things that I think is a recurring theme on the show is a desire to, to create stronger community because that's where we derive a lot of our happiness from. And, um, no reason not to do that. So Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, like I said, it just makes us all stronger. You know, nobody's trying to take over the world on their own here with their cocktails. It's, it's just, it's so much easier if we share and build on each other. Um, and certainly... The more a community like Phoenix uh, Scottsdale becomes a hub for restaurants, or it's known as a great uh, mixology scene, then probably a rising tide raises all ships kind of a deal. You got it. You hit the nail on the head. Yeah, I couldn't have said it better. That's exactly right. Is is there any kind of a a, a group like a mixology association or a restaurant? I, I know that there's a restaurant association. There, but. there is a. There is an organization, it's the United States Bartenders Guild that most of us are all a part of. Wow. Yeah. So uh, that's, you know, a group of all of us that, you know, do philanthropy competitions, um, have meetings and just kind of, you know, we'll bring people in to talk about spirits or educational seminars and things like that. So yeah, there is a group that we all belong to and, you know, it's pretty active in the community. We do a lot of, you know, fun group events and we've actually hosted a few here at the Gladly and that's a lot of it is like educational seminars to you know help bring up the new people in the industry and get them up to speed with what we're doing got it mm -hmm. i did a little bit of research on the rise of of craft beer craft cocktails um and there were four points that sort of kept sort of repeating themselves and one was the idea of people really like a local flavor yeah um, I can see that. That's I think that's why with us you'll see the rise in tequila and mezcals being so close to the Southwest mm -hmm. and or being in the Southwest so close to Mexico. Excuse me. Um, that's there's definitely been a push right now. Um, and then you'll see a lot of bartenders using 
local ingredients or trying to source from local. Um, I've seen some competitions where it's, you know, very locally driven, you know, try to use local flavors or sustainable flavors and things like that. Um, so locale, yeah, um, being local actually does help. Um, I see it more in the beer world, I think, mm -hmm. than the spirits world, just because, you know, there are some distilleries here in Arizona and there are some liquor companies doing their own thing in Arizona that are pretty locally driven and cool. Um, I think that's got a little bit more to go because it is so so much in its infancy and I like to see where it, where it is in 10 years, but it's definitely on its way. And I think that's definitely a reason why it's been so popular and so strongly embraced by the consumer is people like to buy local, would like to support local companies. Um, yeah, and it's, it's relatable, you know, it's right. use something, you, you can relate to it. So if you're someone who is a listener of ours or just someone that's kind of nervous about like coming to a place like the Gladly or any other high-end place to have a drink and you are hesitating on what to order. So how would you ease someone into like getting into this world? Ask the bartender and talk oh. and be honest with them. Um, that's probably one of my favorite things that happens is if somebody comes to the bar and they're like, you know what? Don't normally do this. Don't normally drink in a place like this. I don't even drink whiskey. What do you, what should I do? You know, that's a clean palate. And that's like, I that's think awesome. a lot of bartenders like that because we are, we get, you know, you have a fresh palate and it's so creative and I get to try out some new things on you and have an honest audience. You know, you don't have any preset, preset notions or preconceived ideas about what a good drink is to you or like what flavors you know or think that you like. I can ask you, get to know you, you know, say, well, what kind of foods do you eat? Or uh, do you normally drink wine? Do you normally drink beer? What kind of wines? What kind of beers? And from there, I can start to pick apart flavors that you like and then try to come up with a cocktail that speaks to you through those flavors that I know that you've experienced in the past, maybe just not through a cocktail. Well, what is a, I got to ask as a bartender, what drink do you, that people order a lot of, but you just absolutely hate making? Long Islands. Fair enough. <laughs> People still. No, no, no. <laughs> Sorry. Long Islands. Sorry. Sorry. Let, let, let me clarify that. Um, at my old job, that was probably like 95% of the drinks that I made working at a college bar. Um, Were you at Mill, Mill Avenue Q Club? That was it. Yep, that was it. So I've probably made tens of thousands of those in my life. Still love the Q Club, but just tired of the Long Islands. But, um, Fair enough. That is funny. Yeah, so every once in a while, one, one, one will come across a ticket, and I'm just like, oh, you're taking me back. But, yeah. Old uh -huh. faithful. Yeah. The, uh, the, the second thing that, that, that kept popping up in my research was innovation. Mm -hmm. yes. And um, so just thoughts on innovation. Yeah. I mean, once again, I take it back to the food It's like you'll see a lot of like molecular gastronomy or kitchen techniques that have now ventured out into the bar and people are doing some amazingly cool stuff, you know. Um, and if you ever go to places too, like New York and Chicago, L.A., there's some bars out there that are just doing some like mind blowing stuff with cocktails that you are just like, I don't even know how you came up with that, you know. And so innovation, I think, is definitely what's pushing it because people just like with their food, it's the cocktail revolution. They don't want to see the same thing over and over. They want something new. They want something exciting. They want to spend their money on a new experience. And, you know, theater's a big part of that is if you can have a, you know, we do a lot of smoked cocktails here and people love it. You know, we have a little cast iron skillet, smoke some tobacco. It adds some aromatics, a little bit of flavor to the cocktail, and you get a little bit of a show. Um, so that's, that's awesome. a great part of it, you know, as well as our ice ball presentations where we have, you know, fresh, we do pressed ice balls table slide for your cocktail or your whiskey. Um, 
and that's another part of the show. So innovation, I think, is definitely a very important part of it. Nice. And I imagine that you work here at the Gladly because you enjoy working with whiskey. Do you I, find that to be a versatile? It's a very versatile spirit, um, much more than a lot of people might think, because most people, their experience with whiskey might be Jack Daniels in college, you know, like mine was, like, oh, all whiskey tastes like Jack Daniels, but it's, it's not the way it is, you know, there's some beautiful spirits out there with if, great expressions. If only. If only, right? Yeah. So, um, I forgot what the question was. No, we were just, we're just talking, was. About, yeah. talking about innovation yeah. and then yeah. um, whiskey being... A, a, a good yeah it's it's a great me it's a great medium to use um it lends itself to all sorts of different you know spirits and cocktails and you know you can even put whiskey in tiki driven cocktails as most people think are as rum driven cocktails mm-hmm. but you can find whiskeys that play the part very well in island style cocktails nice well, excellent um then number three what does that say? Looks like it might say expansion, but I don't know if that makes any sense to me. So, does that make expansion. any sense to you guys? Expansion, like uh, finding different avenues and different, you know, ventures through the cocktail world. Yeah, I mean, um, I, I found one here. So, <laughs> good job. Yeah. Oh, thanks. <laughs> no, I think he was talking to me. <laughs> oh, okay, gotcha. Well, thanks, anyways. Um, yeah. Yeah. No. Uh, so. Me and my business partner who used to work here with us as well, we started a ice company. Um, I mentioned the ice balls before the ice presentation and actually in this glass you'll see the ice cubes are cl- crystal clear. It's a- Is this your ice? Yes, it We're is. drinking your ice. Yeah. Okay, I gotcha. Yeah, you got it. Um, so ice is a big part of the cocktail program. It's part of the drink. It's you know a lot of the drinks, so it's just as important as all the other ingredients that go into it. Wow. Um, a lot of high-end places now you'll see start to use the very crystal clear, pure air and impurity-free ice. So it started here a few years ago. Me and my business partner were helping other bars just kind of with their ice program because we had one inherently at the Gladly. And then one day we kind of just looked at each other and I was like, well, why don't we just start a company and provide ice to all the high-end bars in the Valley? And it kind of started and ventured out into that. So started a company literally about almost a year ago now, almost to the day, actually. Um, and we started by, you know, making our own large format ice, cutting it down, packaging it. And what does large it. So, format ice mean? So large format ice, um, the way that this crystal ice starts out as, as 300 pound blocks, it's the same ice that they use as, um, to make ice sculptures with. Okay. So it's made out of these machines that take a lake freezing and kind of flip it on its head for a quick description where it's directionally frozen and there's circulation in the water the whole time. Hmm. So it keeps the water from letting any air or the ice from letting air, any air or impurities freeze into the block. So you're left with a 300 pound crystal clear block that we pull out with engine hoist, use big uh, industrial bandsaws to cut it down into smaller cubes and package it and send it out. About how big is a 300 pound block of ice? It's uh, 20 inches by 40 inches by 10 inches. Oh, yeah. just like a, I don't know. 20 by 40 by 10. 20 so big. By 40, or so 20 by 40 by 10. That's yeah. huge. Oh, they're, yeah, they're massive. <clears throat> wow. It takes an engine hoist to pull them out. So. Jesus. Okay. And so you cut it with an industrial saw. So it's the, same, it's the same bandsaws that butchers use to cut, like, their meats and frozen cows. Obviously not the same one that they use, but the same model. Sure. Yeah. Got it. And how much waste... Or do you experience so with that? Or is what's it cool about us is, is there is no waste. So all the ice that is shed or scrap 
we put right back into our machines to help cool our ice down even quicker. So there's no waste wow. at all. Got it. That's really interesting. Yeah, we use, you know, we call it seed ice where we take all of our scraps and throw it back into our machines to help speed that cooling of the water down. Are a lot of uh, restaurants and bars like bought into this idea? Yeah, um, it's it's grown very rapidly. It took off pretty well, and now it's just kind of exploding. It's it, it's now become a thing where it's like if you don't have the clear ice and a nice fancy cocktail, then right, you don't you have doing? a nice fancy yeah, yeah, cocktail. Yeah, yeah. Right, right. Yeah. get this crap out of here. Yeah, right. <laughs> don't want your ice. <laughs> don't want your ice. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So. so so from one of those blocks, do you cut it custom to client? Client mm-hmm. says, you know what we. We make a lot of this kind of cocktail and we'd like the balls of ice. Or so that's, that? yeah, I mean, that's a good point. I think that's kind of what separated us from a lot of the other companies out there doing it because we're not the only ones doing it. Um, but we tailor our cuts to our customers, exactly like you say. So we'll take their glassware and find the best fit shape that the best, the best fit for their glassware, excuse me, um, that, you know, suits their needs the best and we'll custom cut to whatever the account wants. So it's a really personal relationship too because you know these are all people we've been working with for a long time and they trust us and trust our product and so it really helps that relationship. Nice. So just a simple practical question, how do you get it from where you cut it to oh, yeah. where it's going where it's without going. melting? Ice chest. Okay. Yeah, simple, like ice simple ice chest. Okay, gotcha. Simple ice chest with uh, ice like the big huge like frozen ice packs in it. and. Our process is um, it, we deep freeze the ice before we send it out, so it's pretty solid. It's not, you know, it would stand alone on it would stand on its own for 20 or 30 minutes before it starts to melt it, anyways. And then mm. once you throw it in a cooler, it's not going anywhere. Interesting. Oh. Well, it's very cool, very, very industrious of you guys. That's awesome. Um, <clears throat> if you were to start a new restaurant and you say, okay, we want to incorporate. A great menu. We want to incorporate great wine, great beer, great cocktails. What do you start with? Start with a theme. Oh. Uh, start with the food. What? Start with the location. Okay. First and um, foremost. Yeah. I mean, find a location. Obviously, you need to have your theme in mind and your uh, kind of, you know, your vision for your bar, or your restaurant. You want to, you know, what kind of food, what kind of cocktails you're gonna you're gonna serve. Um, obviously that comes first before you even like decide to start doing it. But I think the first like actual physical step, find a location. Um, you know, if you don't have the customer base to support what you're doing, it's going to be very tough. Um, and you know, downtown's exploding right now. Obviously we're lucky to be in the Biltmore. We have a very steady, consistent client base here. Um, old town's always good. There's a lot of places, you know, even Chandler's taking off right now, but I think finding the right location to have the right customer base, which is going to be interested enough in your concept to mm. open the doors, which is why I say the concept can be tweaked if maybe the location isn't ideal. And now you're like, okay, well, we need to take a look at our demographic and maybe tweak our concept a little bit. So uh, obviously, besides the gladly, tell us some places that you, as an expert, like locally, and then some places you've been nationally that are really good as far as cocktails. I mean, so the ones in. In town, you know, you've got Undertow for your Tiki Bar, Bitter and Twisted downtown, um, Clever Koi, Crudo, Okra, um, Counterintuitive. Um, I feel like somebody's going to listen to this and get mad at me for leaving them out. There, right. There's a how lot. How could you not mention Yeah, how could you not mention me? 
Um, there's so many places in town that are just doing amazing things. It's like you could fill up your calendar, go in different places every day, you know. Um, and nationally, obviously, you know, most of the parts in New York that you're going to go to are going to be pretty awesome. Uh, and then Chicago recently, you know, I was um, out at Lost Lake, did the aviary, of course. If you go to Chicago, you have to do the aviary, um, the Violet Hour, things like that. And then um, still never been to San Francisco. It's on my list next. But there's some some bars on my list up there. Okay. okay. So I want to circle back. So we, we, we picked out a location. We think it's going to be successful. Do you start with food and then build the cocktails mm. around that or – I think traditionally that's kind of the way it goes um if you're building a restaurant bar now if you're just building a bar bar like maybe a place like you know uh the little woody or linger longer any of those type of concepts which i also like as well yeah i think that's kind of be cocktails first and then food after okay i, I think that's why it's very very determinant on like where you are and what your demographic is before you start moving forward with any of that stuff makes sense if you're in sun city versus Old Town Scottsdale probably be a little different. Correct. Very different. A lot of right. juice cocktails. <laughs> a lot of <laughs> zing. zing. How does prune juice work with whiskey? You know, that's the one I've never actually well, ventured to try. Maybe. There's that. There's that. There's that innovation. I don't know if I can do that, to brother. Do that to my guests. Yeah. <laughs> you never know. Could work yeah. great. Maybe prune juice and mezcal. There you go. Let's go try it when we're done here. We'll see how it works. Yeah, we'll see how, you that, how that You taste it. Out. Let me know how it turns out. I'll do out. it. <laughs> All right. So I think that Centauri touched on this um, a little bit, talking about somebody who's maybe not familiar with cocktails. Do you think that, well, I, I think that it could be somewhat intimidating to people. Absolutely. But if you're doing a good job and you're a professional mixologist, you can help make it a welcoming environment cool. for people. And at the end of the day, that I think is the ultimate goal um i want that's what hospitality is is you want somebody to walk in sit down at your bar restaurant and you want them to feel comfortable welcome at home and like they're welcome back and they can come anytime um because anybody can copy a cocktail menu anybody can copy um a food menu anybody can copy a restaurant build out what you can't copy is how you make somebody feel when they come to your bar you can't cop you can't replicate your style of hospitality and that goes into, you know, training your employees and training your staff and, you know, really making sure that they're passionate about what they do so they make other, they, that's contagious. You know, when people sit at the bar, they can tell when people are generally passionate about something and it makes them comfortable intrinsically and it just makes them want to be there. And that's at the end of the day, without hospitality, this whole drink thing dies, food dies, it all goes away because that's what's really important at the end of the day. So. Yes, a good bartender, mixologist, whatever moniker you want to give them, they need to make people feel comfortable, welcome, and like they want to come back, ultimately, at the end of the day. Yeah. So, two scenarios for you. If you're someone on a date, what is a drink that impresses someone? Like, a guy's there, or a girl, and they're just like, I'm going to order this, what does it? <laughs> uh, impress, to, so if I'm a guy ordering a drink to impress a girl, uh, I don't know if you can do that, but I mean, so if you're a girl, if you're with me, this is tough. I'm married. I haven't been on a date in a long time. <laughs> Anybody but my wife, I, I swear. Um, it's uh, if a girl ordered any type of whiskey-driven drink or a super old, like you know, like prohibition-style classic cocktail, I'd probably Give be pretty impressed. Oh, like you know, an old-fashioned like we're drinking, or a Manhattan, or a Aviation, or a Sidecar, or a Sazerac, or 
any of those any of those like hundred classic cocktails, I'd be like, oh, okay, this is a little interesting. And you know? if you're uh, another question, if you're with a group of clients or some other people that you're trying to profess or trying to impress professionally, what would you throw out there? I'd stick to like things like old fashions and Manhattans. Okay. You know, That's I, good. I think I would stick to that. It's just straightforward, classic, not over the top. It's not going to sound too like pompous, maybe like what's this guy ordering? I dig type that. Of thing, I love it. You know. Yeah. <clears throat> Got it. So. That's, that's 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 an interesting question. Do you, do you have something in mind if you were really trying to impress somebody? You, you go on a business meeting. You're like, I'm really gonna Me knock the personally? socks off off this person. Yeah. Yeah. Um, actually, I've done. Um, <laughs> that's a good question. Uh, dirty gin martinis. People are always like, I would never expect someone to order that, and I'm like, it's amazing. Let's have one, and they like it. Yeah. Why don't you just order a straight up gin martini? <laughs> I'd be more impressed with that. Really? Yeah. I yeah. can't get through. Well, okay, yeah. I'll try it next. I, I'm just I will take it from know. the mixologist. I was, I was like, you sit in my bar all the time, so you know. You okay. Tell me, you know, straight up gin martini next time. Well, you just, I will do that. There you go. You just made your bed now. Yeah, so, I did. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, I, I guess I've, I've got two questions um, that are, are 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 related. Do you find that the price of a craft cocktail can be uh, a deterrent for some people. Oh. If it's, you know, six dollar uh, vodka soda or a beer versus fifteen dollar whiskey drink. Yeah, absolutely. I think it can be a deterrent. But once again, um, circle back to what I kind of said earlier. It's, it you know, you're gonna get what you pay for, though. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? And that's that's our job as well as to explain and kind of guide people through the cocktail and be like, well, this is why these things are all here, and this is why this is a part of this cocktail, and this is what you can expect from this cocktail. So if you're going to give me 15 bucks, I'm going to promise to deliver X to you. So yeah, it can be intimidating, but I think people need to go in kind of knowing what they're getting into too. If you're going to go to a craft bar that has high-end spirits, you're probably not going to get out for less than 10 to $12 a drink. Got it. Do you think that it causes people to drink less or are they going to drink the same no matter what? Uh, <laughs> don't think about that with me in mind. Okay. I was going to say, well, it, say, it depends on the person. Right. So. It depends on the human being. It depends on the human bar. being. Yeah. yeah. We, uh, you know, we all like to uh, imbibe responsibly, but um, you know, sometimes the drinks get so delicious you just start putting them back, putting them back and then they you just don't stop. stop. Yeah. Right. Right. It, I, it, it, I don't it just think the, happens. I don't think the price, I don't think that dictates how much people are going to drink, to be honest with you. Fair enough. <clears throat> Things go in cycles. Mm-hmm. And perhaps this is something that is mm-hmm. not going to go in a cycle. And craft beer and craft cocktails will just continue to grow in popularity until Budweiser goes out of business. But do you think that we're going to reach some kind of an inflection point where people say, that's that's enough? Or yeah, I mean, it'll get there. It's when it'll be like, when is enough enough? Like, how geeky are you gonna get with these? And like, how much theater are you gonna put with your cocktails? Mm-hmm. And how are you really guys gonna really charge hundred dollars for a drink and really try to get away with that? Yeah, that would mm-hmm. be the tipping point, you know. But once again, it's it's geographically important to realize where you are too. Like, you can go to Chicago and spend twenty five to thirty dollars on a cocktail at a craft cocktail bar. I don't think Phoenix can get away with that yet. Right. I think the scene needs to be there first, and then the, you know, cocktails and prices can follow. Um, but it'll reach a point. I don't know when that'll be, but I mean, you know, it's same thing with food. I don't know has has food reached a point? Do you think? Have you found that like food has gotten like you can only yeah, do so a, much and like yeah, if it's a good you know, meal, you'll pay. If it's a good meal, it, you'll yeah. pay for it. And I think it's we're just kind of 
cocktails are just a little bit behind food. It just took a little bit of time for cocktails to catch up with food. So if you see food take a peek and people stop doing inventive stuff and then know that cocktails are probably close behind that. Yeah. So, but I haven't seen it with food yet, so I don't see it happening with cocktails anytime soon. Mm-hmm. I certainly agree with that. With the new services like, well, there's there's dozens like Blue Apron, mm-hmm. DoorDash, and I was unaware that there are companies that will just deliver. I suppose DoorDash probably delivers booze, but there's companies out there that will deliver more of a craft style cocktail to your house. Wow, I did I, not know that. I think all those things are great, actually. So, like the reason is, is so. It gets people more involved and wanting to know more and a little bit more, like, you know, passionate about it. Um, so the Blue Raper thing, like, I'll, I'll start there. You know, cooking is a very hard thing and it's very intimidating just like ordering a cocktail or trying to make your own cocktail. Like, you know, most people are not taught how to cook. Were you taught to cook? No. Were you taught to cook? I was not. You know what I mean? You just kind of figure it out as you go, yeah, right? I've just innately always been a wonderful chef. There you go. I'm sure Perfect. that's true. Yeah. <laughs> we'll go with that. How's your mac and Sorry. cheese game? Uh, strong? Pretty, pretty strong? damn solid. Yeah, yeah pretty, pretty good. Do you measure it? Do you freeform it? No, it's just like there. Are you freeforming it? I can't be that good then. I'm <laughs> to be clear, I've eaten most of my meals out. Okay. <laughs> gotcha. Um, so, no, it's just it. it's good that, you know, it's teaching people to get in the kitchen. And, you know, it's great that. You know, maybe they're cooking with their spouse or their kids or, you know, exposing their children to that because, you know, out, outside of my restaurant and bar background, that's the only reason I learned how to cook or have a passion about food and cocktails is because I was around all these amazing chefs and saw how passionate and all their skills and I kind of translated it and once again, kind of that self-learning thing taught myself how right. to do it. So Blue Raven and those things, I think they're great because they're going to get people, one, more educated too. The more educated, then they're going to want nicer things. They're going to want. They're going to expect to go somewhere and see something that they can't do at home. Right. You know mm. what I mean? Like so, if I know how to make a you know perfect chicken breast at home, I'm not going to just go order a boring chicken breast at a restaurant. I'm going to want to see something elevated. So I think with the cocktail thing, I think that's great as well. I think that'll set a trend for you know. Okay, well, I can make a vodka soda at home. I want to go get something that I can't do at home. And that's something I've actually heard from my guests is they're like, you know, I can't do these barrel-aged cocktails or I can't do these crazy ingredient cocktails and that's why I come here, you know. And that's something that I think is important is keep pushing people to say, you know, I want newer things and cooler things and better things and different things. So I think all those services are awesome. I think, you know, some people might disagree with me and some people might disagree with a lot of stuff I said. But right. in my opinion, I think it's great for the industry. That's nice. Okay, perfect. How do I know that I'm getting a good cocktail? Yeah. You know, so I, I come into a, to a cool restaurant, to a cool bar. It's got a cool menu. It's got cool looking drinks. I, but, but how do I know? Ask your bartender or server, whoever's taking care of you. Ask them to explain it to you. Um, ask them if there's an ingredient on the list or if there's a spirit on the, you know, in the description of the cocktail that you're not familiar with. Mm. Say, what is this? What is this flavor profile? Um, I found that if people are knowledgeable and pretty passionate and you can tell pretty quickly talking to them, then, you know, it circles back to the very first thing I said. It's like, are these people passionate? Do they care about what they do? You know, are they into their drinks? Do they know them back and forth? And that's usually going to be a pretty good barometer. And then your second one, taste it. Trust your palate, you know what I mean? And don't be afraid to say, like, you know what, this cocktail is not for me because that's something that 
as a bartender, if, if I make a drink for somebody, especially if I'm freestyling and I say, how is it? And if they say, oh, I really like it, but they really don't, you know, that I'll, obviously <laughs> I'll never know, but it bothers yeah, yeah. me because yeah, it doesn't, yeah. it doesn't yeah. help, you know, like I'm not going to be offended that you don't like this cocktail I just came up with. Yeah. You know what I mean? This is a learning process. We're going to figure this out together. So, and so that's the third point is don't be afraid to speak back to the bartender or server and be like, you know what, isn't what I thought it was going to be, you know, but have constructive criticism, say, say what you didn't like about it. Don't mm. just say, I didn't like this drink. Give me something else. Say, I didn't like this drink because, and then we'll figure out how to fix it. I didn't like it because it tastes like rubbing alcohol. Oh, okay. <laughs> so you want something not as strong. <laughs> gotcha. yeah, yeah. yeah, I speak that it language. It makes my tongue burn. Yeah, everything that, hurts. Yeah, everything <laughs> hurts. Well, I can't help with that, but drink more booze. Right. Go away. <laughs> right. All right, so somebody that that really enjoys a nice cocktail and, and, and they're thinking to themselves after listening to this, yeah, I, I, I love going out and, and I, I love a great experience in, 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 in a bar and socializing and interacting with the bartender, but maybe I want to have a couple cocktails at home. What are the building blocks that you would recommend somebody get if they wanted mm. to make a good whiskey drink? Uh, bitters, some type of sugar mixture, whiskey, ice, and then tools, all right? You need a mixing vessel, um, Yaris, things like that. Um, you know, there's a lot of good YouTube stuff out there if you really want to dig into it and like how to like, you know, set up your standard bar or, you know, grab some books, man, like get on Amazon and, you know, get some basic books on cocktails and home bars and stuff like that. That's the best advice I could give to somebody or go sit down at your favorite bar and ask your ask your favorite bartender or your favorite server, hey, what do you have in your bar or what should I put in my mm. home bar? Because, you know, I can give general sweeping broad paint strokes, but if you go to your bartender who knows you, they're going to be able to give you a very, like, narrowed down definitive list of things that you should have in your bar. Nice. That's awesome. <clears throat> what have we forgotten to talk about, Centauri? Oh, man. Uh, I think we covered everything. I mean, I could talk about drinking all day, but... Um, or we could just start drinking. Or we could just keep drinking. Yeah. Um, I think we got everything down. I guess if you're a person, um, to take George's question even further, yeah. how do you find quality bars in your city? So a lot of our folks are not listening or just not in Phoenix. So if I'm in Chicago or if I'm in um, Austin, Texas, or if in, in San Francisco, how do I know where to source the good places? I mean, you know, Yelp's one of the tools I know a lot of people use. Um, I usually go and try to find, you know, if I'm staying at a hotel, ask um, concierge, good recommendation, and then go to that place. And if it's a place that you like and they're doing good things, ask the people working there where they go. Oh. That's the key. That's what I do in cities I don't know. Is I go find a cool bar or restaurant that I like, and then I ask those bartenders, hey, where do you go or where would you go? Okay, because that's how you're going to get the most honest recommendation outside of the internet or anything else. That's great. Find a cool bar. You know, concierge are usually good at sending you to a good place, and that's how I would start my search. And then find a place. Make sure you like it. Make sure they're doing good drinks. Make sure that they're, you know, everything is that everything is the way that you like it, and you would replicate that and have a good time. And ask the people working there where they enjoy to go. Sweet. Awesome. So. Curtis, as our time is drawing to a close, what else would you like to share or get off your chest, sir? Uh, you know, 
I don't have that much baggage. <laughs> so, no, I just thank you guys for having me and giving me a forum to talk about it, you know, and uh, I hope it was uh, insightful and hopefully people learned something from it or yeah, it was great. something up. So That's awesome. And where can people find you or, or learn more about you? Uh, at the Gladly. Um, you can come see me. I'm here Tuesday through Saturday, most of the time behind the bar. If I'm not behind the bar, I'm floating around the restaurant. Come grab me. I'd love to talk cocktails with you, and especially whiskey. I'll talk, to, talk about that stuff all day. Um, you know, or, you know, if you're in need of ice, artisanicez.com is where you can find me. Nice. So. Sweet. Awesome. And we will have um, information about the Gladly and Artisan Ice AZ listed in the notes of the show. So thank you, Curtis. We definitely enjoyed talking to yeah, you. Thanks for having me. Uh, thanks, as always, for listening. Please give us a share on your social media if you enjoy listening to the show or, or, or watching for that matter. And as always, keep questioning because the struggle is real. <laughs> <laughs>